Not since Bonnie and Clyde have two people been so good at being bad. Maybe this fool's such a bad motherfucker. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. Today is episode 27. It's February 12th, 2022. Uh, my name is John. Joining me, as always, we got my co-hosts, Curtis. Hello. And Quinn. Hey, guys. Today is a beautiful Saturday. It's uh, not as uh, warm here in Ottawa as it was uh, previously. It's uh, a little snowy today. Um, how about yourself, Curtis? How are things where you're at? Pretty foggy. I think the, the fog cleared up. It was a beautiful day. Now it's cloudy. So this kind of keeps changing. It was a little bit chilly. I think all the snow melted. So I went for a run this morning. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, was pretty, it was super foggy. But I think it's the weather just keeps changing every 10 minutes here. So... <laughs> <laughs> Not too cool, cool. 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 How are you doing, Quinn? What's uh, what, what's new with you? Uh, not too much. Just on my weekend, enjoying it, getting ready for Super Bowl Sunday. Let's go, Rams. Mm. Yeah, pretty important game. Yeah, it should be a yeah, fun time to work. It's kind of a big deal. I made my bets the other night, so I'm pumped for that. I got uh, hope you win big. <laughs> yeah, no, they're nothing crazy like payouts, but just mm. like bet on the coin toss and stuff like that. I didn't even bet on the winner because the odds are like not even that good. Like yeah, I think by the yeah, it's like four and a half or last my side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just and bet I, on like little things, like just like overall points. I made a decent bet. It was like I think it's like a hundred. So all of the touchdowns, their jersey numbers has to be over a hundred and something. So I bet on that. Oh, for the jersey number of touchdowns, I think it was like a hundred and forty, but or a hundred and forty combined like jersey numbers. Yeah, and then there was a couple other ones that I was thinking about. There's like one where it's like. Will Snoop Dogg smoke a joint on the halftime show? <laughs> Will Eminem wear a hoodie or a hat? Will Kendrick Lamar wear a hoodie? What what color of shoes will Snoop Dogg wear at the halftime show? So there's a lot of things that you can bet on. But if I was yeah. a celebrity, I saw those prop bets. I would just like put all my money on it and then do the opposite and then rack up a score. I remember reading. I don't know how true it was, but there was a fan I think uh, two years ago that like ran on the field like naked and like he got tackled and. It, I don't know how true this is, but it came out after that. Apparently he had put like a huge money on a prop bet, like fan will like run on the field or whatever. And he, <laughs> he put like all his money on it and then did it himself. And then he got rested, but he came away with like tons of money. So he was able to bail himself out at least from jail. So yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> uh, today, you know, today we're, we're almost in the romantic season today. It's February 12th. You know, we're, we're a few days away love from uh, love is in the air. We're a few days away from Valentine's day considered by many to be, you know, the most, most romantic day of the year. And we thought, you know, what, what better way to celebrate uh, romance um, and, and that, and that season with talking a true romantic movie. Uh, this is the classic Tony Scott film, true romance. Um, this was a fun one to talk about, to, to watch and talk about. I know uh, we'll probably get into uh, it a bit in sort of uh, the scenes and stuff. I want to talk a little bit about sort of the, the background of this movie, because this movie actually has kind of a little bit of a, an interesting development. Uh, just from the hop, I've actually never, I never saw this movie before this. I think all I had seen was like the, um, the Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken scene on YouTube. And I'd watched some of the, like the, the Jim Gandolfini stuff as well, but I'd never seen the movie in its entirety. So I was, I went into this fully uh, blind. I never, I didn't know what to expect. And uh, it was an interesting Tarantino's proud moment, that Sicilian scene. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Jeez, he was just like, oh man, this is great. I can't, I love using these words. Uh, what did, have you guys seen this movie before? Like, what was the first time, if, if this was a rewatch for you, what, what do you guys remember the first time you watched uh, True Romance? Yeah, Quinn, you can go first. Yeah, I do. Um, I watched this movie with my wife like two years ago for the first time. 
sort of like you, John, I, I kept hearing about it and hearing about it and hearing about it. And like, obviously I'm a huge Tarantino nut. So I'm like, okay, I have to. And I like, I mean, Tony Scott's awesome too. So I'm like, okay, I got to check this out. And I watch it. I'll be honest. My opinion on the film has changed since. But the first time I saw it, I wasn't phased by it at all. I thought it was like mm. mediocre at best. I was like, this movie sucks. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I remember telling my buddy at work, my buddy's like, you are an idiot. Like, you're an idiot if you think that's a bad movie. I'm like, I was saying it's a bad movie. I just think it's overrated. That's okay. Yeah. I'm the idiot who doesn't like Pulp Fiction. So everyone gives me a hard time. Yeah. That. <laughs> everyone denies it out on him. I, I think The Matrix is like probably the most overrated movie of all time. And people would probably kill me for saying that. But hey, so we all have our own little things. But, um, no, I think with this watch was a lot, I received it a lot better. I don't know if it was like the mood I was in when I first saw it or whatever. My wife also didn't like the film. She was like, okay, like that's it. <laughs> but um, no, good movie. But yeah, we'll get into the ratings in a little bit. But uh, yeah, what about you, Curtis? I loved it. Uh, I seen, I saw it about 10 years ago for the first time. I loved like first half a little bit more, I think, too. You know, when they go to L.A., I still liked it. But it the last I don't I didn't remember the last half hour of the movie for some reason. So it's kind of fun to rewatch it again, too. But, you know, the first half, you know, has Gary Oldman and, you know, Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken and stuff, too. And that those are my favorite parts. And I think coming back to it, watching it again, um, it was really hard. Like I, I told you before we, we recorded that uh, I had a really hard time watching it again, you know, especially with James Gandolfini's scenes where he beats up Alabama. Oh, that was hard to watch. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great movie, though, and I, I, it's still as great as I remember it. And I actually, uh, <laughs> I remember the, the ending now, so <laughs> last 30 minutes won't be a blur. Well, what did you think coming into it for the first time, John? Um, well, I, I know coming into this, like, I kind of had a rough idea of what to expect. Uh, last year, uh, for the first time, I watched uh, David Lynch's Wild at Heart, and I, and I heard um, a lot of people who have seen that movie and Lynch heads, a lot of people, uh, there's there's sort of like a small subsect of people who really fucking hate this movie and like natural born killers because they think they're basically a ripoff of Wild at Heart. And I don't think that's totally true. And my understanding is that natural born killers and this movie both are kind of sourced from the same yeah, script that they're was all developed like, all separately three of them are, are so such different films, I think. Yeah, and I think uh, people. I mean, they're very comparable because I mean, they're all kind of like Bonnie and Clyde style, kind of like road movies and stuff like that, and they have kind of similar characters. And even like a, I would say, like Alabama in this, and some of the characters in the other movies are are very comparable. But the taxi driver uh, Travis Bickle kind of character, you know. Yeah, but I find overall that the movies certainly stylistically are much different. That's what's cool about watching this, especially. I mean, this movie. Uh, first of all, the title of this movie, True Romance. I didn't know this. This was sort of a play on titles of like romance comic books probably from like the 40s and upward like true life secrets true stories of romance another kind of little like kind of kind of like a little kind of nod to like i guess we shouldn't say really not i guess pulp fiction's like a nod to this of uh the movie title it's sort of like a reference to like you know pulp fictions and sort of 50s and 60s works of pulp media this was actually of course notably the first script written by quentin tarantino um and i think i, I believe this is just off the top of my head i think this is the only film that he wrote that he didn't direct if, if that's correct um this was his first screenplay he wrote it he kind of lost interest in it but he ended up selling the script um coincidentally though this was actually released after tarantino's breakout film reservoir dogs um, so it's kind of funny to think of a universe where like Reservoir Dogs doesn't hit, but this movie does. And then, you know, Tarantino becomes kind of like a popular script writer. Maybe that's his career, but kind of funny that this kind of came out after. And I know a lot of Tarantino fans, a lot of people kind of debate, is this like a Tarantino film? Is this not? Because I've certainly it's not directed by him. I, I mean, I, I certainly think that this 
is a Tarantino film because I mean, it's literally his script. And I mean, you, you just, it just feels like his film in terms of the characters, just the, the dialogue, the, story, yeah. the dialogue. I mean, I, I think almost honestly, a little bit to, to a bad effect that maybe we'll get into that, but I think this might be uh, Tarantino himself sort of described this movie as being his most autobiographical film. And I mean, I mean, he literally has a character who wrote in who's this hot blonde. who's like, wow, you love comic books too? I'm like, yeah, I can see that. It's autobiographical. He's like, <laughs> he's like jerking off and writing at the same time. But uh, anyways, this movie, of course, directed by Tony Scott. You might, if you're, you might be familiar with his filmography, of course, um, director of films like uh, Days and Thunder, Top Gun, I believe a uh, Black Hawk Down, if that's correct. Uh, I think that's, that's, Scott. that's really Scott, yeah. Uh, yes, so he's the younger brother of really Scott. I think he's about, about six or seven years younger. So, of course, Tony Scott is really kind of well-known for his sort of, I would say like frenetic style, a lot of like really rapid cuts, edits, a lot of like MTV style needle drops, big, bold colors. And, and of course, Tony Scott as well was um, a commercial director before moving on to films. And, you know, he's kind of closely linked to fake folks like uh, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, who was, you know, the big power producer of the 80s and 90s action films. Him, him with his partnerships with Tony Scott and Michael Bay, they kind of like wrote the path for pretty much a generation of action thrillers of that time. Um, I was kind of reading a little bit about him. I found this kind of fun article. Uh, maybe I'll put it in the show notes, but um, it, it describes sort of um, the influence of Tony Scott and kind of compares him to his brother. He says, you know, through, through though his brother Ridley often took the same rap for favoring looks over substance, their styles, though, both highly visual were strikingly different. You know, Ridley's films, good and bad, play out kind of like classical music, stately, elegant, unrushed, somber. Tony's movies are rock and roll, fast, loud, exhausting, sometimes sometimes painfully bright, uh, which is kind of funny. And I actually watched a Ridley Scott film, a new one uh, this week that I'll chat about. But I think that's a pretty good comparison. Like, I think there are certainly some similarities between them. But I do think Tony Scott kind of goes for more of like a brash, abrasive, sort of in-your-face style. And I think... I think some people are a little mixed on his stuff. I'm personally a big fan of his. I think he's one of the more underrated directors. And I, I, think, I think I think this is my favorite Tony Scott film, I would say. Yeah, this one. Yeah. And I think I think people look at his style and a lot of people see it as dated or they just see it as sort of too commercial. But I, I mean, when you rewatch it and especially years later, you see how just obviously intentional it is. And and I think it actually gives a kind of a slick edge to it that um, a lot of movies kind of miss. There's so many, so many 80s movies that sort of, do try to do like a Tony Scott style, but to me are a little bit too kind of like cinema, you know, just the way they're shot a bit too visually flat or, you know, the colors are too flat and it's too washed out. But I feel like he just, he gets the technical side of things so well done. So, 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 so bang on. Yeah. And, and um, this, of course, as I mentioned, the script was written by Quentin Tarantino. Um, the rights for this were sold. Uh, Tony Scott ended up getting uh, Bill to direct. Apparently Tarantino actually initially opposed Tony Scott's direction decision to change the ending, um, which we'll get into. So there was sort of like yeah. an alternate ending um, originally for this film. And he said, like, I just fell in love with these two characters. I didn't want to see them die. So um, also the score in this by Hans Zimmer uh, and the theme, the theme of this film is based off Gaussenheimer's uh, from Karl Off's Schulwerk. Um, and also the theme where we get at the, I think the end, like uh, Patricia Arquette sort of voiceover, that's actually an homage to uh, Terrence Malick's uh, film, Badlands. I mean, this film, we're getting to like, we could just talk all day long about God, all the pop culture references in this movie. This might be the most like pop culture heavy movie. Yeah. Well, I was ever. thinking, too, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously a romance movie with, you know, uh, the two lovers there too. But I mean, you know, Christian Slater's character, Clarence is such a hard on for Elvis too. I mean, like mm-hmm. there's that opening scene where he like tries to pretend that he's like not in Elvis. I'm like, man, you just, you are in love with Elvis. He so said he wants of... to fuck Elvis. Like, I don't yeah, even think it's subtext. Yeah. I think he's pretty yes. clearly like, kind of uh, <laughs> ambiguous in his sexuality. I don't know. Like he's just there's, like, there's a queer reading on, of the but... film too. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah and I, yeah there's there's so many moments like that too or, or scenes where he's like what you want to fuck me or whatever or just <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of little dialogue moments with um with um with his character the clarence that i was just sort of like taking a little bit of back by i'm like I, I thought that was just so funny is just like <laughs> that opening to the film um and also of course as mentioned this film was actually edited kind of significantly when it first got kind of released in the uk at least um there's an alternate ending where uh nikki gets shot uh, that's the police officer i believe that's chris penn he gets shot uh by toothpick vic instead of alabama so that was the original alternate ending but that was uh, changed up in the on the in the state side and then uh, subsequent subsequent dvd blu release releases i mean i think that's just a better decision i think it works better in the film and it kind of ties in a little bit better with the ending, um, certainly in terms of, 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 of how that works. Um, I mean, this has, a, of course, great cast as well, too. According to Tony Scott himself, Val Kilmer had originally wanted to play the character Clarence in the film. Um, apparently, that was sort of the original intention of having Kilmer in it, but he ended up, of course, taking the role of this kind of like Elvis Presley ghost. I don't even think we really got a good look at his face in the film. No, we don't, see we don't him, see we hear face, him. We hear him, yeah. But, you get like kind of a washed out reflection of him, I think, in a mirror, but otherwise you don't get much like bang on shots of him. Uh, apparently Kilmer spent eight hours in makeup being transformed into Elvis Presley, which is funny because like, you don't even really see him in this. It's kind of like a, that Eternals movie where that guy got super jacked and then apparently like he never takes his shirt off at all in the movie. It's like, wow, you went on like a, <laughs> a steroid cycle for nothing, man. You just like a uh, cheese. <laughs> I, I was I was reading too that he was really annoyed that uh, Tony Scott didn't give him the main role. So he used to like yeah. call Tony Scott in the middle of the night and sing Elvis songs to him. <laughs> <laughs> which is like such a Val Kilmer thing to do. It's like, fuck off my set, you know, but like, That's hilarious. <laughs> it's funny. If you wonder, I, I know that Val Kilmer just came out with that documentary that sort of he filmed this whole, basically, this yeah, whole it's, like, be it's fun like a to, super eight movie. Kind it of, would be yeah. fun to watch it and wonder if he maybe filmed some of the stuff that happened for this movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He probably did. So like sing, sing uh, Elvis. <laughs> yeah. And apparently, yeah, the character of the credits is also called the mentor because they didn't want to get sued by like Elvis's estate because, you know, he's Elvis, but they don't really specifically say, wow, he doesn't turn around and say, wow, you're Elvis. Wow. You know, he doesn't say anything like that. <laughs> So, um, yeah, cast wise, as, as I just kind of referred to Christian Slater in this playing Clarence, uh, Patricia Arquette as Alabama. Uh, we got the Val Kilmer as Elvis and we got a pretty, I think, a pretty stacked cast in this from from, you know, big figures in this film all the way through to kind of like minor one off characters. Like I didn't realize uh, Samuel Jackson's in this. Yeah. And he basically <laughs> seems like 10, 15 seconds long. It's not a very long scene. Eating out women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talking about eating pussy. And he's like, I eat, eat pussy. I eat the butt. I eat everything. I eat the whole damn thing. I, mean, <laughs> I eat the whole damn thing. <laughs> and I mean, maybe we'll get into it as we talk about the movie, but like, I, I kind of wrote a little spot the references. Like, there's just this movie's chock full of references. And I think this movie as much as you can kind of interpret it as sort of like a twisted romance, it is sort of, to me, like a movie about movies and about kind of um, our perception of ourselves based on sort of media we watch and stuff like that. Like, I think uh, obviously we get that great beginning where we get, he takes Alabama out to the the movies to see the street fighter series with Sonny Chiba. Uh, and, and I mean, Sonny Chiba himself has been, and of course, and then Kill Bill and his movies have been referenced in other, um, in other Tarantino works. Uh, we get, of course, Spider-Man uh, is in this. He's like, want to see Spider-Man issue one. And he kind of goes on that description talking about that. It's, it's kind of like a fantasy, too, because he's kind of like this, like, kind of, well, you know, he's this comic book guy, nerd guy. And, you know, he, he finds this amazing woman, even though she's like a call girl. And they kind of just have this, like, romantic, well, not so romantic trip to L.A., I guess. But, like, I mean, 
there's a there's a bit of a fantasy to it too isn't there yeah certainly i think there's a scene where he like backs out his car that pink that purple cadillac and he's like oh bullet let's go and he's like you know comparing himself to like the tv show <laughs> and you know he's kind of getting in that sort of sort of mode uh, there's so many uh, a lot of his scenes are him sort of like you know trying to fake it till he makes it you know like splashing water in his face and we don't really ever see the sort of the facade come down uh, too much in this it's it's really him kind of putting on like a front of a character and sort of making that as sort of a whole whole identity really um so let's get into it so of course this film is about um this these a bunch of characters but sort of the heart of this film is about clarence he's this young man uh who works i think he works like a comic book shop i believe he works this sort of comic book shop um again Tarantino himself said this is a very autobiographical movie. I mean, to me, Clarence is literally Quentin Tarantino sort of personified <laughs> in film. It's like a film nut. He even kind of sounds like him. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Like he just looks sort of styled like him. And it certainly his characters like him. Uh, he's at a bar. Um, it's a really great opening scene. I mean, Tarantino films in general. And I mean, I mean, I think I'll just sort of use like Tony Scott Tarantino because I think both of them kind of can own this film in its own way. But really great opener where we see him at the bar. I think he's out looking on TV watching Elvis. And he's remarking on like, you know, how beautiful Elvis is. And, you know, I think we actually talked about that on the Elvis Carpenter episode, you know, Elvis is quite like a, a soft, effeminate looking man. Like mm. he could easily the long pass lashes. Yeah. He's a lot more like kind of gender bending than you might expect. Yeah, especially with like the, persona, the, Andy, yeah. the Andy Warhol uh, uh, painting too. You know, you really see his kind of feminized qualities brought out. Yeah. And especially his later era Elvis, he's pretty camp. I was talking with Natalie, we were watching the movie last night and she's like, Elvis is pretty gay. I'm like, yeah, it's true. He's kind of gay. He's this kind of campy, kind of like kind of spark, sparkly, sparkly sequins and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's going on. And I think even the woman beside him, I she I mean, she's designed a she's designed almost like Marilyn Monroe, like costuming in hair. Like she looks almost just like a like Marilyn or like a 50s kind of equivalent yeah, like, to her. Yeah, and they're they're having a conversation back and forth, and then he's like She's like, do you find Elvis attractive? She's like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, I, and it ends the, the end, that result of the conversation. like, I, I'd fuck Elvis too, or whatever. I'd have a relationship <laughs> with Elvis. Uh, pretty funny opener, but of course it leads to him later meeting um, Alabama and sort of striking up a little bit of like a, a, they have a really great chemistry. I think, you know, the movies like this, I think, I don't know what you guys think, but I think it's really important mm. regardless of how, you know, sharp the script is or how whatever, I mean, this film's just very wacky in general. And I think the tone of this film. Yeah, I, I really uh, like, yeah. I, I really like Patricia Arquette in this movie too, because there's some movies in the early nineties I find are kind of annoying, but like this movie, she really nails it. And I, I loved her chemistry with Christian Slater. Like yeah. it was really strong. Yeah. The costuming too is so strong. Like I think their looks like her with her like, uh, purple leopard like skirt pants yeah. and, and like her, her her like red buxom like push up like shirt and and I Christian Slater's got some good looks too with his like goofy kind of red yeah because I was shirt. I was and, like well I know this guy's a total nerd but like he's really good looking like why doesn't he have any dates I mean like <laughs> yeah there's a couple of scenes where he looks like he lives in Markham or something like he's got like the bay like the like winter wear on like kind of coats on like he looks like he's just doing a run to Timmy's or whatever but uh, yeah he's got some good looks and actually um, there's a film I had watched unrelated to this but called Angry goes west and there's a scene in that film because it's about these like kind of influencers and uh wyatt russell's character and, and taylor sloan's character they actually dress up like them and like do like a whole instagram thing so that's in that film that's a kind of an iconic look is sort of i think the end of this movie their kind of design style uh would make for a really good couples costume for halloween uh that's for sure uh so clarence and alabama strike up like a, a friendship partnership like they, they they really get on really well and of course like in tr true fashion there's a great scene where they go out and get some pie I think that pies also gets nodded again in Pulp Fiction, where we get the Bruce Willis is his girlfriend or whatever. She's like, <laughs> she wants some blueberry pie, and uh, that that rears its head again. But they go to the films, go see Street Fighter, um, and, and have a blast. They go back. He's reading some comic books, and then they get it on in a very Tony Scott esque 
80s sort of I mean, I mean this is 93 but this still feels very like 80s early 90s style and I just love the colors of this film I think what's great as I said before this is certainly a Tarantino film and script but this is such a Tony Scott film like with its you know the colors in this like you don't see Tarantino films this bright this bold uh, and especially some of the shots as well too oh, yeah. especially later in the, in the well, film that, in the that's, that scene yeah. when they go into uh, to visit uh, Drexel uh, Alabama's pimp played by Gary Oldman I love that scene because the colors are amazing you know and the dutch angles are wild yeah yeah and his, his acting too the lighting is perfect too and you know bad, bad motherfucker <laughs> I fucking love Gary Oldman in this he's so good in this movie like un- <laughs> oh, unreal yeah. yeah he's so probably fucking one of funny best, too probably one of his best performances ever like Gary Oldman, I mean, as you know, is he's so like such a versatile actor and like he can do pretty much anything. I mean, oh, him and Johnny Depp, there's so many like they have such a range of like yeah. different characters that they can play. And they almost like like he does it so well that you're almost like it's, you almost need like a double take. You're like, is that that's Gary Oldman, right? Like, it's just so like good. Just like how like the makeup and how he was all done and. Um, yeah, and he, is, he is that he is that character. You can't even hear his British accent too. You know, it's just, no, 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 he does <laughs> such a good job. I mean, for any, everything from Winston Churchill to uh, you know the the corrupt DEA agent and uh, lay on the like Harry Potter characters. Yeah, yeah to, to, Harry Potter, to yeah. beloved Sirius Black. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow, Sirius Black went full uh, like uh, Spring Breakers or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah full riffraff. He looks like, and it's fuck, it's so funny when he gets. I mean, I don't want to skip too high, but he kicks, he just beats the shit out of them. Like, I love the fucking <laughs> violence in this film. The squibs. I'm a big squib guy. If I get a good shootout with some good squibs, I'm in. I'm sold. That's automatic. <laughs> you got like your squibs here. You four and a half squibs. movie for me and this movie <laughs> delivers in the squib front but fuck that seat's so good and i just it, this film is so fucking funny i love when he just absolutely kicks the shit out of like christian slater and then he's laying on the ground he's gotten he's been like fucking punched a million times his face is like broken he's like yeah it's not a white boy today is it he's like hey is it white boy day today or whatever he's like no it's not and it's so fucking funny the other guys is like no it's, it's like white boy tuesday i think it's the white boy tuesday he's like no it's not white boy that <laughs> <laughs> hanks eat your heart out yeah uh, you could tell like Qu- quentin Tarantino is just like jerking off to that too and he's writing the script you know he's like oh i just love that sentence gotta have another one just like it you know <laughs> yeah i think i mean certainly like i mean not to get too into the weeds on that stuff but like tarantino i think sort of the criticism he gets today certainly is his his un his willingness to just use a lot of racial epitaphs or yeah. be pretty on not not caring in the world about how characters interact and show sort of their own or ra- racist undertones and stuff like that. A lot of people read that as sort of maybe that's something in his own character, a Tarantino sort of character. I mean, I I don't know. I, it's a movie, man. Like, who gets that gut gung ho about it? But I mean, this movie in particular has got some pretty pretty egregious yeah. examples. So if you're really sensitive to that in the in the in the in, the, in movies and in his films. Uh, you're gonna get a lot of <laughs> this movie, especially <laughs> a very notable scene, which uh, maybe we'll get there. But uh, just to kind of get back to things, Alabama and Clarence, they have a really good meshing relationship. They end up, they do the shotgun wedding thing. They get married. They're they're deep in love with each other. Of course, earlier. Um, after they have sex, after their really great, great dates, Clarence finds out that his boss had actually hired Alabama. She's a call girl, hired her to sleep with him. Um, even though that was the case, they actually, she admits like, you know, I'm falling for you. I love you. Like we have a great connection. It's great because again, if you're watching this and if you're playing this thing straight, you're like watching this, you're like, what the fuck? Like they're in love now. Like, but you're not, I, I think there's that goofy ass Marumba song that plays through this entire movie where it's like, do, 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 do. It sounds <laughs> like something in like a cr- stupid, like a 2000 sitcom or like a lifetime sitcom but like 
it actually, I think it works as sort of like an anchor to remind you that this isn't meant to be taken all that seriously. This is yeah, they got like Christian Slater with this the eye patch. Yeah. <laughs> this is funky. This is fun. Don't get too upset. Don't get too. I, I think I think that's really while I don't know if that's the best choice of music, I, I do think I think that song and that's sort of the music that we get in some of these moments does kind of I, I think serve as a signal to remind the viewer that you're not supposed to get too upset about this. This is sort of fantasy. This is supposed to be kind of goofy. And it is. And they get they get married, of course. Clarence is really fixated on this Drexel figure who's uh who's Alabama's pimp. She's escaping him. He's not a very good dude, it seems. And man, intense moment, Clarence, like, I'm going to go, you know, pull a Travis Bickle. He's getting the gun ready. Um, he's getting him psyched himself, fixing himself up with Elvis. You know, he's always using Elvis in moments when he has to sort of like embrace his like, you know, tough guy. Yeah, it's like Elvis is, Elvis is yeah. his god or, and his kind of like crush, you know, like at yeah, all at exactly. once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. What did you yeah, think he's... of uh, what did you think of the Elvis thing, Quinn? Because I know you're a big Elvis fan, too. Um, oh, man. Yeah, dude, I, I love it. And, and, and I know Tarantino's a big Elvis guy, too. So it's like, um you know, to throw that in the script and stuff is, oh man, I, I yeah, I thought it was brilliant, man. I, like I said, the first time I saw it, I was kind of rolling my eyes at the whole thing, but like, <laughs> I think it grew on me. It's fun too. I think if you love films, I mean, this is really like, well, I guess like all the Tarantino films, it's like made for people who love, really love movies too. And, you know, everything from like the hit, the dra- taxi driver references to Elvis. Yeah. And <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah, there's a lot of Travis Bickle in this film too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also like, I know we mentioned it earlier, but the reference to the Mac too, like I'm a big fan of the Mac and uh, I gotta watch that one. Yeah. It's so cool. It's just, I mean, just the soundtrack. I have the soundtrack. I know I'm pretty. <laughs> yeah, just Willie Hutch, man. So it's awesome. But, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I was gonna say, like, I think the scene, and I think I, I don't, I don't know if this was uh, you or, or Quinn that had wrote this in the notes, uh, Curtis. But I think, yeah, that confrontation between Clarence and Drexel when he goes to the sort of club. Um, yeah, are we supposed to interpret that as like reckless? Is it almost mm. like suicide? I, I kind of interpret it as again. I don't know if we're supposed to take it all seriously. He's getting himself psyched up by yeah. this psychic ghost Elvis. He goes yeah. there. And even though he seems like near dead, he gets the shit fucking rocked. He's somehow able to will himself back up and, and fucking go guns akimbo blazing. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's, seem, it's like, like, it's, it's like them, that yeah. Travis Pickle again, you know, going to kill a pimp, you know, and it's like stuck on this, you know, and then he just goes. Yeah, like, it is very Travis Pickle because <laughs> in, in Taxi Driver, he's also fucking almost near death. He's like stabbed, he's bleeding. He kind of pulls out the quick little nine millimeter short little revolver, takes him out. Kind of the same thing here. And it's a really great sequence. I, I, I mean, the sequence when he meets Drexel, Drexel's so great because, you know, there is that edge to him. Just like a classic villain, he's, he's lounging, he's eating. I love how he's just eating and snacking on, like, uh, what was it, egg rolls? We got everything from Diliago to damn if I know. <laughs> yeah, and he's watching, I can't remember, he's watching like a Pam Greer film. And he also, again, there's another little bit of coding because he remarks like Pam Greer, whoever's getting like kind of groped. And he's like, you're, she's got her titty out. You're not even watching. You don't care about titties. Know or you know, he's not fixing it on that. It's kind of a little... Uh, once again, kind of a little fun nod there, but uh, you know they have this conversation. Clarence, to his credit, is like pretty confident. He's like, you know, I've seen this movie. I saw this movie six years ago, um, and you know, telling him that like you know Alabama's his his wife now. They're married um, to get you know to get out, and then they have this big big brawl. God, it's so brutal, and he's kicking the shit out of him and punching him, and uh, you know be- beating the fuck out of him. And then the, you know Clarence is able to sort of get the one up on him. He's able to fucking stab him, shoots him shoots the shit out of them. Uh, there's that Tuca guy. That's all you'd mentioned almost like Tuca Salamanca. Like that sort of, yeah, it feels very breaking badass. Even the big yeah. guy is almost like the bodyguard 
uh, from yeah, uh, it's from it's like when, Bad, when yeah. it's like in that scene when Jesse goes to negotiate with Tuco Salamanca too, and and you know you just you, you feel anxiety because you you know like these yeah. people how unstable these people are, and you don't know like what he's gonna do to him, and then the tables <laughs> literally turn. So it's uh, it's kind of a cool scene to watch, and it, yeah, well, I mean we'll talk about it later too, but I mean there's that scene with uh where where um James Gandolfini's character encounters Alabama in the room too, and uh, you know that something terrible is gonna happen. You yeah. Just, I mean, there's this, I had so much anxiety watching that again, too. Yeah, there's a lot of like dread and tension there. And I think it, that's a really good scene, too. We'll get there. But like, I think that scene helps to really kind of kind of pop the air of the balloon. I mm. think all the moments when we really get the gangsters, kind of the true villains in this film, they, they really kind of help to really kind of pop the balloon because this it feels very flighty very fun very funny mm. but when they show up they mean business and well, like because well, uh, james gandolfini when he's playing a gangster he always has this like little like fake smile like you know like i know when he starts doing that and sopranos when <laughs> when you see it in this movie something bad's gonna happen so when you see this like fake little smile i just like oh he's gonna make fun of polly or you know yeah. polly's threats or like <laughs> something something worse <laughs> Yeah, and again, I think even um, Drexel himself, I was, I'm just trying to read, because this movie is so dense with quotes, I was just trying to remember some of the quotes, Drexel himself is like, you know, he's like, I know I'm pretty, but I ain't pretty, like a couple of titties, again, <laughs> the characters calling themselves pretty or, or beautiful, often men, you know, referring to their looks, and even that Sicilian scene, it's him, you know, spinning a long monologue, remarking on another yeah. man's looks and the way he looks. There's and, a lot of sort of homoeroticism, thing. too, I mean, even if you go back to Reservoir Dogs, too, I mean, Mr. Pink, too, and I think, you know, Quarantino is taking a stab at all that, at, you know, that the gangster genre too, and saying, you know, it's a bunch of these men, you know, all hanging out, you know, and more interested in each other than, you know, the women in their lives too. And there's a lot of kind of queerness embedded there, I think, that he's kind of making fun of a little bit. Yeah, I guess maybe um, another quote I forgot was when uh, Alabama and, and Clarence together, and he's just like, he says, like, I knew something was rotten in Denmark when he's like talking about, <laughs> I thought that was just a funny kind of phrase, a little turn of phrase. Um, but Alabama and Clarence, they get the they get the, the suitcase presumably full of money and clothes and they go on the run. But they find out, of course, it's full of drugs, full of cocaine, which they're happy to sample some of. They're like, all right, let's take this and sell it. I love how they're like, uh, you know, you could think there's, there's a path for them to just be like, you know, let's leave it. Let's kind of go our own way. Let's, you know maybe give this to the authorities whatever we kind of rid our hands of it but you know they're like yeah let's just go and try to sell this thing um they drive to la and they end up uh driving to go meet their friend elliot played by the great michael rapaport i mean he's fucking funny in this role i really like oh, yeah. this this character, such, this character was such, general, this, this character yeah, was such a loser but the actor was so good <laughs> yeah, i completely forgot he was in this like yeah and he always like i don't know michael rapaport is like yeah i always find he's in like movies that like like you forget about it you're like oh shit rap is in this like yeah no he's yeah i completely forgot i actually chuckled as soon as i saw him on screen when he goes on the roller coaster too i love that scene where they're on the roller coaster and he's just freaking out <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's a great i was actually reading that in that scene too um when they had filmed, I, I don't. I was able to actually locate the the specific reactions, but apparently, if you watch, there's a couple of reactions when he's on the road coaster where he looks like shit, and it's because you know Rapport didn't want to actually like he felt that it was very uncomfortable filming that. So there's a couple of scenes where he was like more relaxed, and a couple of scenes where he's like, Ugh. but that's a fun scene too because you know they I love when they actually film like actors or people on actual roller coasters because that's a moment when you can't like really be fake. It's your own genuine reaction because being on a roller coaster is fucking. It, it's it's meant to make you feel like you're dying for like two minutes like it's great like and he's <laughs> yeah. and it's great seeing everyone's faces they're just losing their shit and elliot's just like fucking like crying i love elliot's so good he's such a fucking sniveling dork in this movie <laughs> in a movie full of men kind of putting on fronts of masculinity or or kind of just like if not outright masculinity kind of like 
just like stoner and like don't care. Elliot's just a total goofball. He's almost like a, if, you know, comparing this to Sopranos, he's almost like he plays sort of like the New Jersey kind of elite liberal type character in the film of like an erudite, more educated type figure. And uh, man, we also meet some Brad Pitt stoner character in this. So fucking funny. He's like, hey, come back he's, he's and buy, like, uh, bring some like, beers. He's, he's like a 20, 20, like a, the dude from Big Lebowski in his Yeah, 20s, yeah. You know? Well, I call him and he doesn't really like he's not really like uh doesn't do that much in the film really like he's just sort of there and he's kind of just a layabout watching tv i, I can't remember what film he's watching or is he watching the mac or he's watching i something think, I think he TV. accidentally he rats out alabama and he accidentally rats out <laughs> clarence and alabama later in the film too although he's you know he's well-intentioned i don't think he means and he's got it. the yeah he's got like the the water bottle bogger he's like hey you want some want some of this they're like he's like all right yeah i gotta take it right over by uh by root so and so, and he just goes full like uh, like GPS mode. Pretty funny. Um, of course, uh, well before they they all head out, I forgot to mention Clarence in Alabama. They actually Clarence takes him to meet his dad, uh, played by the great Dennis Hopper. This sort of uh, Cliff, I think his name's Cliff Worley. He's like this cop. Um, kind of, I, I thought like the way they kind of portray Alabama, she's very kind of infantilized, but like she like almost like makes out with his dad and he's leaving, and she like, calls him daddy. It's like really weird. It's just this sort of. She's sort of this character who's just this very flighty, you know, almost like an intentional, like like you would almost call like a manic pixie dream girl type, like someone that any man in this film just like all the men who meet her just like are drawn to her and and kind of are, are sort of a little bit diffused by her a bit. She's like, yeah. but she is she does, she is certainly kind of a tough character. I mean, we know and, she's called girl. You know, she, 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 kisses, she, she kisses the father on the lips and I'm like, what's, what's happening here? You know, and he's Where like, yeah, she does taste like a peach or whatever. And there's a lot of like references to food again. He's. He's she's referred to as a peach waiter when he's talking to Rappaport. He's like, I don't know when he's talking to Elliot. He's like, uh, he's like, tastes like French vanilla, big titties or whatever. He's like, what? And I love it. He like turns around. He's like, what? He's like, I said, tastes like French vanilla. He's like, you think of a woman tastes like French vanilla. It's big. He just like says the whole thing over again. The almost non sequitur. And he's just like, oh, uh, what? Let's just can't, can't get into it. But uh, uh, they end up tells his dad they're leaving. They, they take a car. He gives them money. They go. Uh, but we see that they are able to trace it back to his dad. So the the gangsters, the men who actually had sold the drugs, who want to get their 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 product back, go see Clifford. And it's like another great moment. There's a lot of scenes in this where characters enter a room and shit is just fucking bonkers, or they're in extreme threats of violence. So this is sort of the first one of the one of the first ones of this where he walks in, and everyone's there. Uh, Christopher Walken's there as sort of. Uh, I can't remember his name, but this sort of Italian gangster and, you know, spot Mr. Uh, Tony Soprano in the background. I, I knew he was in this film, but I was watching Natalie and she didn't. And then there's a scene where you finally get like the full picture of him. She's just like, what? He's in the movie. But uh, really great. And actually, this was, I think, it's not his first film role, but this was sort of probably his most kind of big appearance in a film. And actually, uh, Gandolfini's appearance in this was one of the big reasons why he actually got casted as Tony Soprano in The Sopranos. Uh, Susan Fitzgerald, who was the casting director for The Sopranos, had watched True Romance and, and seen his sort of, you know, gruff physical performance and sort of that really notable scene uh, between him and Alabama and thought like this is sort of a character who could sort of have that more kind of menacing role that they wanted to kind of cast because a lot of the people they were looking at, they actually almost casted uh, Silvio's character, Stevie Van Zandt. They almost casted him as Tony. <laughs> he was one of the rounder ups. There's a few other figures too, which like, I can't imagine. I no. mean, that whole scene in season five or six when like, he is the boss and he's just a totally looks totally like out of it. Like they have that, they have that, uh, they yeah. have that show on uh, Netflix. I think it was like Nef one of Netflix's first shows, Lilyhammer. Lily right? Yeah. yeah, it's like Sylvia Dante kind of plays like a Tony Soprano kind of role, but it was it's weird. <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly different. But I think uh, that yeah, and so 
that leads to like a really great standoff between them where, you know, Christopher Walker, he's asking him questions like, where is, uh, you know, where is Clarence? Where's Alabama? He's trying to find where they've gone. You're where a cantaloupe. <laughs> you know, you're, <laughs> you're a cantaloupe. You're a cantaloupe. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, makes you an eggplant. Yeah. And they're having this back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, you know, he, he, uh, Claire uh, Clifford, he's, he's sort of really, he's telling them, but not telling them. And, and you know, uh, he picks up on that too. Cause he's saying like, Oh, like, you know, they came here like, I don't know where they are. And then he says, like, listen, I, yeah, they did come. I talked to them. You know, I found out about this. I gave them some money. I didn't think to ask. They didn't ask me, which is pretty bad line. Cause like, come on, you would of course ask, but, uh, and finally Christopher Walken, you know, he's like, he's like, I understand you're leading me in circles, leading me in circles. And it leads to the, you know, probably again, I had never watched the scene, but I had, I never watched this movie before, but I had on YouTube, like watched the scene. Cause this is sort of like one of the, this is sort of the standout scene of the film and one of the more popular scenes and i think tony scott's filmography where we get a great standoff scene between dennis hopper he's like give me one of those chesterfields takes a cigarette as sort of like you know his sort of you know last last supper last cigarette before his death and he just goes off on christopher walken i can't say what he says but he basically says because christopher walken's talking about sicily and sicilians being you know really good you know identifying liars he's like i'm sicilian you know notably he's got like kind of darker skin black hair and to to say this in a very politically correct way dennis hopper's like you know sicilians are descended like from black people and he says you know the moors who had conquered italy and I'm not, you know, he doesn't use that word. He uses a different word, but he goes on and on. And the whole, it's really uncomfortable to watch, but yeah. it's, it's, it's fucking funny, but it's also like, you just know, he's just fucking, he knows he's going to die, but he's just fucking giving the screw to Christopher Walken's villain character. And he's totally telling him to fuck himself. And especially at the end, he's like, well, it looks like you're a descendant of them. And you know what? Your great, great, great grandmother got screwed by one too. And he's just, he's like, ha, 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 look at this clown. Ha, ha, ha. And you know, he's like, wants to fucking choke the shit out of him. And it's so fucking funny. He's like, he's like, you're a cantaloupe, as you said. And then yeah. of course, fucking, fucking awesome. But yeah, it's a it's really just, great. It's, it's fucking... just a big fuck you to the, to the mob too. And you know, they, they're all about that performance. They always have to put in a performance. So he, he has to laugh, but obviously he's so pissed off. That, like, it's the worst thing you could say. And he really like sticks the knife in and twists it, you know? <laughs> I think it's a really fun red herring too, because again, I had only seen this scene in the film. And after that, I'm like, wow, Christopher Walken is the main bad guy. We're going to see him go after them. But that's it. I think that's the only scene we see of him. Yeah, he just has Virgil Virgil and his other guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, it's really just sort of a one-off moment, which makes you think, you know, this greater universe where like, he doesn't really, he's not the one to go after them. It's really the, the henchmen to do it, but it's, it's such, I I mean, uh, Christopher Walken and any sort of Tarantino property gets really great, seemingly one-off scenes, like between this and the, your father's watch, which he kept in his ass, like between those scenes, like he just, he gets these really kind of quirky offbeat kind of uh, like, you know, 10 to 15 minute scenes that that stand out and are fun but um you know in the actual scope of the film really aren't like the the most important part but yeah so they find out where they're going um because i think i think clarence is it true i think he left his like driver's license in the god dead guy's hand mm. which they're they're all kind of like laughing about it's like the, you know clarence for you know for all the fronts he puts up he's really kind of woefully unprepared for all this stuff he's just kind of going with the flow and they're they're like this guy like did all this but he just left his driver's license to the guy and like clearly we can track and find out you know where he's going where he lives but uh they find out where he's going and of course travis and sorry complex called travis travis bickle clarence in alabama and uh Rappaport's character they talk to elliot because they want to kind of get linked up to this big shot producer uh who's making films but they want him to actually they want to sell the drugs to him because you know they can't just sell it to any nobody on the street they gotta it's a lot of products so they want to sell it to him get some money so they can kind of take off and and go their own way so elliot's planning to kind of hook them up with this meeting 
at the same time, of course, we find out the police are also involved. So the police have kind of gotten Elliot and it's played by Chris Penn. And I, you know, rest in peace, Chris Penn, you know, between this and Reservoir Dogs, some really great roles. And the cops in this are terrible, but I love their interactions once they get the wires going. They're almost like playing like an audience role because like we're watching all this crazy <laughs> shit happen and they're, just, <laughs> and they're just laughing their asses off. And like, again, you can't take this film seriously. These characters who are literally audience surrogates watching and listening are laughing so I, and, I and they're such, they're such go- they're such goofballs as police officers too like i mean they're just totally politically incorrect like they're just fucking train wrecks i mean they they yeah. fuck up the shootout they fuck up everything you know it's just yeah and of course uh well while clarence is gone he goes i think after to get some food when they're kind of holed up together alabama stays in the apartment again this is if you're going to kind of compare things to wild at heart it's almost reminiscent of wild at heart when uh when bobby uh, peru yeah. character where bobby peru kind of goes and confronts uh lord dern's character um in that film so in this scene we got you know alabama goes to go back in the room and fucking virgil's there with the shotgun fuck man intense scene um intense violence virgil literally is beating the shit out of alabama mm-hmm. And Alabama's just like giving you fuck you back. Like he's like got her right up against the glass, like holding her, and she just like kind of croaks out like a fuck you or gives him the finger. And, and then she gets the, she get she gets like the lighter and the WD forty and like fucking flames him and she's she's stabbing him in the foot with a corkscrew and like holy shit, man. Like she's- Yeah, and while Virgil doesn't get like a big a lot of dialogue, there there is like a really great scene that I was like was one of the standout ones to me where Virgil's talking about, you know, Alabama's on the ground, pretty much near death, like he's gonna have to kill her. And he says, like, talks about, you know, like the first time you kill someone, you know, how rough it is. And he says, like, the first time I did it, I threw up and, you know, talks about like how doing it over and over again, you know, gets better. You sort of start to really kind of capture that feeling. And it kind of twists it because it's almost like a little bit of sympathy. You're like, oh, you kind of feel bad for this guy who's this is a job. He doesn't like doing this. But by the time oh, it yeah. ends, oh, poor, monologue, poor, he's like, poor, poor violent abuser. You know, like- Yeah. By the time he ends his monologue, he's, he's like, I can't wait to do it. He's like, you're like, holy fuck, this guy is really fucking sadistic. But yeah, t- fucking to to her credit, like she fucking gets the one up on him and fucking beats the shit out of him with the fucking toilet lid and, and smacks him on the head. And then, yeah, it burns his face with the lighter and then blasts the shit out of him. The shotgun at that point, like, you know, Christian Slater comes and is like, what's going on, honey? And just fucking kill it. Like, mur- <laughs> mur- massacre again. They're like, we got to get the fuck out of here because the police are coming. The police are pretty seemingly absent. I mean, we they're busy listening to the radio, but like there's like yeah. multiple <laughs> shotgun blasts going on. I imagine someone in the apartment over is just sitting there quietly like, oh, what what's going on over there? Like, yeah, they, they missed the Dennis Hopper. They missed, you know, the Virgil beating up on Alabama. They, they're, you know, they're late to every party. <laughs> but that goes, yeah. that goes, that goes back into the sort of, um, like the fantasy of it too right like mm. it's it's yeah. very it's very much like a movie just because of like the lack of police presence and whatever but it remind me if i don't know if you guys have watched this one already the um terrence malk film badlands too with the bonnie and clyde too you have sissy spacek and uh i think not uh martin sheen uh, i always get the sheens mixed up um mm-hmm. but yeah it, it's kind of like that in some ways two very different films but it kind of Again, that kind of Bonnie and Clyde thing, and it made me think of this film again, too. Yeah, and I think, uh, just to kind of touch on uh, Dick, uh, Michael Rappaport's character, like, at the same time, of course, he has this stuff going on where he's, I think he's uh, applied for this role, and there's that really fun dialogue scene where he's, like, doing all the gesturing and stuff, and um, he's applying for this role for this uh for this, t- this TV show, you know, apparently Captain Kirk's on the show too. So that's kind of going on at the same time. And it leads to this really great scene where they're all kind of meeting together. You know, Dick's there because again, he has kind of vested interest. Elliot's his friend, his connection. 
and also he sort of wants to meet the producer and, and kind of get a role and and they're there to meet the producer to sell a product uh the cops are listening in they're ready to kind of get the info they need so that they can kind of rush in and, and arrest them and all the bad guys are on their way coming there too so it's a great sequence where everything is just coming to a fucking head in this this one room and uh they meet this producer guy and it's a really fucking on the nose scene again because they're talking about film and you know he's like movies these days are too uh you know, or too tame or play it safe. And it's a pretty, I'm on the nose reference, you know, uh, kind of reminded me of another, I, I don't want to skip ahead, but I watched the Carpenter film this week for the ending. And they're like talking about, you know, violence in films. And it's a very self-rich referential to um, <laughs> the movie you're watching in that moment. So a uh, really great scene. He talks about, you know, this, the film that this producer made, it's, I guess this Vietnam war film. He's like, he's like, this is the, I think it's the best Vietnam film I've ever seen since, you know, apocalypse now or redux. And uh, that leads to this fucking, the cops finally get the information they need. They go, they show up there, they pull out all the guns, pistols. They're like, get on the ground. And all the bodyguards <laughs> that the guy has there are fucking machine guns. And they're not backing down. They're like, yo, we're going to fucking blast the shit out of you. <laughs> and the producer finds that Elliot's been fucking ratting and Elliot's playing it off so bad. He's like, he has like the fucking um, the wire like on his crotch and he's just like rubbing his crotch all the time. And he's just like, he's not, he's not, <laughs> when they're in the elevator too, like he's, he's terrible acting and fucking Christian Slater has the gun to his head. He's about to fucking blast him. And he's, he's kind of a little worm, but he's fun to watch as hell. Cause he's just so um, mealy compared to everyone else. And then at the same time, all the bad guys, all the henchmen are fucking walking there with all their guns ready to storm in. And then they pop in. <laughs> Everyone has their guns pointed at each other. Oh, fuck. And it's, it, you know, I, I, I do think while I love all the squibs and, and gunplay, I mean, in real life, if you were in that room, you just blast out guns, you wouldn't be able to hear shit because it'd be so fucking loud. Yeah. And, and that, the, the idiot cop who like forgets his kevlar i'm like what are you what are you like yeah, a tra yeah. training academy like come on <laughs> yeah and then rapaport throws the fucking drugs in the air and they get shot and fucking blast the fucking drug <laughs> and he gets out i i realize like we don't really get a resolution with him although we do find out he got the role but he fucking skips out and, and gets the fuck out of there like after the shit's going down so he gets out um of course there's that fucking awesome fucking shootout where everyone's just blasting each other everyone's getting squibbed up and you know alabama's kind of on the ground hold up um, Clarence is in the bathroom again kind of I guess maybe another like a pop pulp fiction not almost like Vincent Vega and, and pulp fiction he's in the toilet he get there's a lot of toilet scenes and, and a lot of Tarantino stuff he gets up <laughs> goes out gets shot presumably like in the eye before that of course he's having that final psych up scene with Elvis sort of getting himself psyched up again for this sort of confrontation but he goes out gets sort of blasted he's on the ground Alabama like kind of walks like kind of you know crawls over to, to see him Everyone's almost presumably dead except the one Italian guy gangster behind the chair and Chris Penn and his partner, uh, you know, they're pointing at him. I love like the 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 cop. He's just like, oh, yeah. he like he like points out he's Italian guy and they're just like, all right. They're trying to like talk to this guy. He's like, yeah, he's putting his gun away, but he's got a fucking gun ready. He pulls up and fucking blasts them and gets blasted himself. But, you know, Chris Penn's the last cop left. And then Alabama in revenge turns around and shoots him. He's sort of checking on his friend. He's been shot and seemingly dying. Um, and he also blasts that bodyguard as well too. You know, it's a little, little bit of fuck you revenge. He's like, this one's for Ben or whatever, and pulls the gun and and blasts him. But at the end of this, everyone's pretty much dead except for uh, well, Rappaport who got out. But I keep call Rappaport. But uh, Dick and except I don't know, did Elliot die either? I can't remember. Elliot, if Elliot, Elliot dies. Yeah, he gets shot yeah, like gets, five he, times. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, I couldn't remember if him and the producer also got murked. I know all the everyone else. Yeah, the producer so. gets shot uh, shot in the initial crossfire, and then Elliot tries to get up and he gets shot like. 15 times <laughs> yeah exactly okay, and then yeah. christian slater's character has a nice eye patch after too yeah he's got the eye patch going and uh it's it's fun too because again Pirate jack the, the guys who show up like they're kind of escaping and they take this woman hostage and there's like 
this hostage situation happening in the hotel lobby at the same time is almost like a split off. And we see Alabama and, and uh, Clarence kind of like huddled each other and kind of getting out. And then well, like, it's very much like a comic book kind of ending too. you know, like, yeah. you know, you, with, with Christian Slayer with the eye patch too, I was just thinking, you know, and that kind of larger than life um, aspects of the film too. Yeah. It's, it's very much like that kind of comic book ending. <laughs> yeah. Like Nick Fury. I think he even name drops Nick Fury as well. In, in one yeah. of the quotes as well in the movie too. So another little nod um, leading to that very saccharine ending reminded me of Man- Manhunter where it's like happy ending with their child. I, I, I'm not, the, some people aren't the biggest fan of the ending. I think the film is kind of a little bit too saccharine, but it is kind of a nice change from, you know, a lot of shit we're seeing in the movie. And it also gives a lot of, uh, kind of starring starring role to to her to to Alabama's character because she gets the final dialogue. She's driving, kind of holding him and taking care of him, and sort of remarking on. And we get that really fun that quote at the end that you're so cool. We see her writing that down in the napkin during when all this shit's going on. She's that's not she's focused on is writing this down and ends on this. You're so cool. I think the movie that really speaks to sort of the spirit of the film. And it is really a movie about, um, you know, being cool. We see uh, Clarence, you know, putting on this front of Elvis and trying to consciously be aware of sort of how cool he is. We we see in the beginning, he's sort of written off through other characters as the sort of dorky comic book guy you know, doesn't have a girlfriend, he's a virgin or whatever, but, you know, maybe it is a little bit of like Tarantino fantasy, self-fantasy, but we see him really kind of emerging his own, even though he's kind of relying on this own, you know, psych up. He, he is, he is a cool character and, it, and it's a, it's kind of a fun ending. And it's really great colors too, when they're driving through the sunset uh, to the beach. Um, any other stuff in this film you guys want to mention in terms of scenes? I mean, there's so many quotes. I'm, I'm just like, I'm reading, I was reading a little list of like quotes in the movie and I was just like catching things like when fucking uh, Dick or he's, Elliot's calling Dick. He's like, you want to suck my dick? He's like, oh no, you want to <laughs> speak to Dick or whatever. Like there's just so many fucking one-off lines that just crack me up or they're just, it, it just shows how great the script is. Um, how about yeah. you guys? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. The script is amazing. So many like quotable lines and like, like I said, maybe I wasn't in the right frame of mind the first time I watched it, but like just fantastic filmmaking, writing the whole nine yards. But like the one scene that I love is just when they're on the billboard and like mm-hmm. they're just having that like sort of heartfelt conversation. And yeah, I think I think Tarantino uh, for, for screenplay wise, like I, I think it's one of his best efforts of his career. Yeah. What about what about you, Curtis? What do you think? There is so many good scenes in this, too. I, for me, I really like seeing uh uh, Gary Oldman is, as the pimp. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. And I think it's really well in terms of sequencing and structure, how they do it in the film, because they have that initial scene and it seems kind of random, you know, where, where like uh, he goes in with his, his buddy and uh, you know, they're talking about, you know, eating pussy and stuff. And then like um, Samuel Jackson's there. And then he like shoots the guy and kills my Samuel Jackson and takes like all the, the drugs. And you just really see like how dangerous uh, Drexel is as a character too, because he seems like this really like chilled, like kind of rude Rasta pimp yeah. guy. And then suddenly he just, you see how like unstable and dangerous he actually is. And that's pretty scary, you know, like, cause I mean, it's like to go Sal- Salamanca too. You just, you don't know what you're going to get with these kind of people. And there's a reason why nobody goes to that <laughs> motel, you know, unless, <laughs> um, and it shows like also how really dangerous these people are to be around, but there are people out there like that too. But then again, there's a kind of car- comic book kind of cartoonishness to to as well too even when you look at his face you know you know you know i ain't pretty but i know i ain't pretty and and uh, yeah i liked i liked um yeah that was my those were probably my favorite scenes the ones with uh carrie oldman i think yeah and i think uh, i think tarantino originally like this it, it's kind of funny to think of the idea of like tarantino directing the script himself because i think his original idea was to have this film which would later become in Pulp Fiction, have it kind of done almost like out of sequence with different scenes and non non chronological order. But Tony Scott, play, Tony Scott plays it pretty pretty straightforward. And uh, I mean, I think 
Tony Scott is an amazing director and I love seeing taking this sort of source material and doing it his own thing. Like I think the way he sort of plays it as a straight narrative works really well in this. And I just love how playful it is. You know, from the hop, we get uh, Clarence suddenly, you know, talking about remarking on Jailhouse Rock, you know, this cool swab guy, you know, you know, leave a pretty corpse. And that, you know, that, that comes in at the end with Clarence, you know, laying bleeding on the ground, this pretty, pretty corpse almost, he doesn't die, but pretty corpse. And I think I, I've been listening to a lot of Elvis. So I mean, I've just been in Elvis mode recently, but like, I love this sort of self-aware coolness. It, I, I, I don't know if I'm as high on the script. I think it's really funny, quotable, but I do think it is a little messy. It's a little bit too tarantino wankery i think a little bit but i mean it is fun to see a script that obviously means so much to him that has to this day his obviously most fucking pop culture references probably in anything um and i it, think it would it, it would have been interesting too i think to see to have seen just out of curiosity would see how quentin tarantino would have directed it comparing to other similar movies like i mean the, the, the script that this was sourced from kind of also led to um uh oliver stone's um uh, natural born killers as well as uh you know earlier uh Dave yeah because Tar- sort of Tar- tarantino for- wrote the script for uh natural born killers too but yeah. he crossed himself out of alan smithy so <laughs> crossed yeah, himself out of the think, script. it's been a while since i've seen natural born killers but i i saw wilder Hair recently i think this one's frankly a better movie like i think this one mm. kind of gets that spirit i think well so done. too I, I like it more done. than i like it much more than natural born killers and i yeah. mean i think badlands too is an interesting compa- companion piece but i think terrence malick is doing much different things with that yeah. film it's less kind of cartoonish yeah so um just to talk a little bit release and some stuff you guys could chime in if you've got some other stuff that comes up because i'm probably gonna remember some cool that i'm like oh i forgot <laughs> to say that that thing but uh yeah this came out this was kind of like a bit of a box office bust though and it, it had like a 12.5 million budget which doesn't seem that high it only earned about 12.3 this film now of course is while it was still kind of critically praised a bit when it came out it's now kind of become really popular cult film um, it was culturally critically praised when it came out. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes consensus, they said, fueled by Quentin Tarantino's savvy screenplay and a gallery of oddball performances, Tony Scott's true romance is a funny and violent action jaunt in the best sense. Um, I saw, I, I'm, I'm a big, big letterbox fan, and one of the accounts I follow is Silent Don, who's also on Patreon. I love uh, their reviews. They talk, they, they kind of sit on, on True Romance. They said, True Romance remains a relic to me of the early 90s of the emerging voice of Tarantino and the continued evolution of Tony Scott's work. It's basically Tarantino's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, but Tony Scott brings his glistening eye to the romance and operatic action. Um, I think that's pretty, pretty bang on. It feels, it feels a little rough. It, it feels a little self-indulgent, uh, but it, it's got a lot of fun spirit to it. And I think it's just really sharp technical film with some great leads. Um, even um, the scene, uh, more legacy and influence, obviously the Hopper Walkett scene is one that people remark on all the time. Uh, Tarantino himself named it as like one of his most proud moments. He said he had heard that whole speech about the Sicilians a long, long time ago from a black guy living in my house. One day I was talking to a friend of Sicilian. I just started telling that speech. I thought, wow, this is a great scene. I got to remember that. Uh, Tarantino uh, famously, apparently he's grown up with like a lot of like, I think he had said like he was pretty much raised by like a black babysitter. And he claims that like, you know, the reason he sort of has the stuff in his movies and talks what he does is because, um, the environment he grew up in, but I, I don't know. I think I've watched some of these videos where he's with like, you know, getting interviewed by black people. I'm like, it kind of comes a little cringe. I don't know to me. I don't get too into it, but, um, I think it's kind of a funny story. The idea that someone had told this to him a long time ago and he was kind of like, I'm going to put this in my, you know, Bonnie and Clyde movie, just randomly shoehorn it in, but it, it's fun and it works. Um, Drexel, you know, the Gary Oldman character, apparently Gary Oldman, I think actually has kind of considered this to be one of his favorite roles, certainly um, one of his best villain performances too. Um, and this movie is also, of course, I already mentioned about 
uh, Jim, Jim Gandolfini's uh, performance as Virgil kind of helping to lead to his eventual role as Tony Soprano. Um, Brad Pitt's character, you know, playing the stoner Floyd, apparently was the inspiration behind the movie Pineapple Express. They kind of saw like, what if we had just kind of had this movie, but focusing just on Floyd's character and his shenanigans. And that was sort of the inspiration behind that. And also Brad Pitt, apparently just, there was basically no script. He pretty much just improvised most of his lines, which is pretty fun. You know, and he's just like, hey, can you come back with beer? He's just like, he's just having a good time. He's just having some beers, watching some TV with a fucking fan, like one inch from his face. Must be pretty humid there. And uh, yeah, this, this film's got so many, like we already talked about all the pulp culture references, but even stuff that's come out after, like a lot of Tarantino stuff, the Pulp Fiction pie sequence, um, at Kill Bill Volume 1, I think the bride wears the Clarence's gold Elvis glasses, the ones we see him wearing. We see her wearing the same ones. Um, uh, Jackie Brown, there's a line, like a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out, which is a line from this movie. Um, obviously, Natural Born Killers sourced from sort of the same script. It's very similar. Um, apparently, even some other kind of offhand stuff, GTA 5 is a, a mission that's inspired by this movie. Um, the metal the video game metal gear solid three when big boss loses his eye that's a reference to apparently inspired by this movie as well too and uh gary oldman's drexel he actually wears the eye prop from bram stroker's dracula apparently so that's that's kind of that's kind of fun as well too okay. um yeah i i think uh, maybe we could also talk i i saw some other notes that you guys had added apparently gop presidential nominees so this is 96 uh bob dole, <laughs> bob rest dole in peace. he just dole. he just died i think a few months ago bob dole at the time, he cited True Romance and that maybe died more than a maybe it was like a year ago. I don't know. Time is sometimes I'm like someone died a couple months ago. You look back, it was like 2019. You're like, oh, mm -hmm. never mind. Uh, Bob Dole at the time, he cited True Romance and Natural Born Killers as evidence of mindless violence and loveless sex, which holy shit. <laughs> that's <pretty funny. laughs> it's such a 90s conservative thing to say yeah you know? it's like uh bush senior talking about we need more of the the whatever we need more of the samsons not the simpsons or whatever like, you know the idea of the simpsons is a corrupting influence on like, born in the usa born in the usa is such a patriot song and it's like uh maybe read the lyrics <laughs> <laughs> so um maybe why don't we get into sort of our thoughts and give our scores um curtis obviously you've seen this before you were the one who kind of really pitched this. Why don't you uh, talk about your thoughts on this movie and what you gave? Yeah, so I love it. And all the scenes mesh so well together, too. I mean, it's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful to look at. It's really entertaining. Like, this would be a fun one, I think, to watch in the cinema if it was ever up there. Like, you know, if there's like a Tarantino double bill or a Tony Scott double yeah. bill. Um, there were some parts like the the part, like, I mean, obviously, I love James Gandolfini's acting. But that, that scene that I mentioned with uh, Virgil in Alabama, I found that really hard to watch. And I thought I felt it was very gratuitous, too. Like they kept coming back to it. And I think that was a little bit uh, that kind of, you know, shook my rating a little bit. <laughs> and I think, yeah, the scenes when they go to L.A., they weren't as, like they're still it was still great, but it wasn't as fun as the first half of the movie, I think. And I, I found watching it a second time, too. I didn't I didn't like Clarence's character as much, too. Uh, although, you know, I still think Kristen Slater is great in the role and I do like Clarence, but I didn't really like him as much the second time. But mm -hmm. yeah, hard, hard uh, 4.5 out of 5 for me. What did cool, you think, cool. Quinn? Uh, yeah, no, like I said before, um, first time I watched it, I wasn't like super crazy about the movie, but it grew on me with this watch. I'm looking forward to watching it again. Um, I agree with you. I, I thought Christian Slater was pretty good in this role. Patricia Arquette really stole the show for me and obviously uh, Gary Oldman, phenomenal. And I think that Tony Scott, uh, rest in peace. I don't think Tony Scott made another movie like this yeah. uh, stylistically. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they think of Tony Scott, they think of like, you know, the taking Pelham of uh, one, two, three, and uh, a movie that I think is completely underrated is deja vu with uh, Denzel Washington, of course, man on fire too. Yeah. I just think that 
just Tony Scott just knocked it out of the park here and really, really took Tarantino's script and sort of made it, made it his own. And I think if Tarantino would have directed it, um, it would have been a completely different film altogether, even with the same script, but that's just my take on it. Um, I think overall, I, if you would have asked me last year, I would have gave it like a two out of five, but it's, it's a four for me, four out of five. Good movie. Looking forward to watching it again. What about you, John? Yeah, I gave this a four to five too. I really loved it, but I did think there was a couple of kind of spots to me that I, I just found the script was a little bit way too like Tarantino wankery. It was a little bit too self-indulgent. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is his first script. It's a, it is, does feel kind of rough. It feels like he kind of took a lot of the spirit of this film and really kind of, to me, I mean, maybe Chris disagree, but to me really perfected it in Pulp Fiction in like Reservoir Dogs and pretty much. And I think Jackie Brown, I see, I see a lot of this film in Jackie Brown, especially yeah. with like a De Niro's character feels kind of like a mishmash between like Floyd and, and Dick and like a lot of the characters in that film. I, I, I think that's a much better film than this, but I, I do love, I love what Tony Scott did with this. I, I think Tony Scott takes Tarantino's material and does it better than I think a lot of Tarantino's own films. Like I, I think I didn't, wasn't the biggest fan of the music choices, but I think it worked kind of to make things a little bit soft. This is just a fun campy ass film. It's not meant to be taken too seriously just like Pulp Fiction is it's Pulp Fiction it's not meant to be taken seriously this is a pulp movie true romance it's supposed to be like a goofy pulp 50s 60s thrilling um, romance caper tale it's fun it's really sexy too it's super great the cast in this is very deep this is a very deep lineup um, from you know the stars like Gary Oldman like Christian Slater and a a great role in here too Um, and and Patricia Arquette who I don't think she's that that amazing this movie Uh, you know she doesn't really get a lot of standout scenes but I think overall her performance this is probably one of her best and um, even all the way down to like Dave Gandolfini as Virgil like great kind of one-off sequence characters the colors in this I love Scott's just style I love how bold it is I love how every character has like almost their own palette and, and so many scenes have like very distinct color palettes I love movies that you can kind of divide them like that I think the ending while it is kind of I don't like the the kind of the specific ending I do think that kind of will stand off when they all kind of come to a head it's just so well done it's so fun and it, I had a blast uh, easy four out of five I would this movie to me feels like something that you really have to rewatch. just kind of based on how referential the script is and sort of I would love to maybe revisit this and maybe um, maybe that might change my feelings on it. But for a first watch, I had a great time. Me and that we were we were having a great time watching this thing. We loved it. I'll, I'll definitely got to check it out again. So I think overall 4.25, which is pretty, pretty solid score. That's a that's an A, I think, you know, that would get that would get a pass. So uh, great time. Great film. If you're looking for something romantic to watch, that's not uh, the notebook or whatever. You want to watch something a little bit, a little bit more chaotic, hectic. Maybe some of us Bloody. out there, maybe some of us out there, us and our husbands and wives we can relate with Alabama and, and Clarence maybe we see a little bit of ourselves in them so if you want to watch something like that get, get, in, touch, to, get in touch with your inner body and Clyde yeah your inner <laughs> your inner like freak out guy or or gal uh check out uh, take out that true, pimp take out that pimp <laughs> yeah check out check out true romance yeah great great film now let's get into um what we watched this week I'll start off with you Quinn because you watched I think you only watched one thing this week but you also wrote about it I believe on on the seat struck uh, Instagram feed is that correct too yeah um yeah yeah, I didn't watch much this week. Um, I had Double Jeopardy on there, but I didn't really pay attention enough to talk about it. So I just took it off. I'll talk about it in a later podcast, maybe. But yeah, I watched a movie uh, that was a pretty big deal to me when I was a kid. Uh, a movie mm-hmm. called Polly uh, from 1998. I did, in fact, write my review on it on the Seat Struck Reviews Instagram account. So go check that out if you feel like it. Um, basically, Polly is about uh, a talking parrot who literally talks uh, voiced by Jay Moore. And he's, <laughs> he's in an Institute um, where he's kind of neglected and he's just kind of kept in like this basement. And uh, 
this Russian immigrant janitor ends up um, getting him to talk. And one thing leads to another. And Polly tells him this story about how he belonged to this little girl who had a stutter growing up. He ended up helping her uh, with sort of her speech, speech therapy, and they became inseparable. And unfortunately, you know, a few things lead to Polly getting taken away. And, uh, you know, he goes from being in a pawn shop to being with a thief to being with um, a Mexican American uh, sort of an interesting guy. It's Cheech Marin. But um, <laughs> anyways, he has this, you know, he has this huge life and he's always just trying to sort of live a happy go lucky life and try to find his uh, original owner, the little girl. So um, it's sort of a, it's an adventure story, beautiful, beautiful story. It's like, it's funny. It'll make you cry. I showed my wife. Cause I kept saying, I'm like, Oh, you got to see this movie, Polly. I think you'll love it. She was like in tears the whole time. She just loved it. So yeah, definitely check out Polly. If you haven't really underrated, That's I think great. for the time too, like even the CGI and like, it doesn't look like overly ridiculously fake. Like I'm one of those guys that I, I can see something that's like CGI and I'm like, Oh my God, it looks terrible. But like, um, apart from a couple scenes, like this movie is pretty good, pretty well I, done. I always used to see that in this. I'm glad you really liked it because I kind of want to check that out now too. And I always just remember going to Blockbuster Video when they still had them and seeing those like animal movies. And they have like Babe the Gallant Pig and then they have like Gordy yeah. who nobody watched and then they have yeah, Polly, I, I, you know? <laughs> Gory stands. I'm a Gordy stand. You know, we're out here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, big year for big sure. movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember this, I think 97, 98, like that was sort of the time when I was starting to kind of really become kind of conscious of like movies that were coming out that weren't like just like Disney. Like as a kid, you're like, oh, watch this Disney tape. You don't know what year it's from. It's like could have been from 1960, could have been from the year you were born. Uh, but like the, the late 90s is when I really started to kind of come conscious of that. It's also when I started reading like Mad Crack magazine and all the movie parodies and those things. So I remember Polly, I remember so many like Polly ads as a kid. I never saw it, but like that and like Mighty Joe Young, just all these movies that like I remember. Yeah distinctly like trailers and seeing in the theaters commercials but i never i've yet to see it so i really want to check out polly because i remember as a kid i'm like oh, a little parrot movie and it looks so funny and, uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny because of- like a lot of people would see it and sort of write it off and like it's really not like it's one of those like don't judge a book by its cover because it really is just a beautiful story and it yeah it, you know it, it's not that long of a movie it's like an hour and a half and it really keeps you entertained um throughout very interesting story you want to listen you want to help him you want like just the whole movie just like will have you really engaged and yeah i just love it and like yeah i know you're right like that around that time you know like i remember small soldiers like the oh yeah the the, the merch and the like the the trailers and like they made it so i want all those toys so (laughs) epic like yeah, yeah just Oh man, we're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and like, we gotta do an episode on small soldiers. That's coming. Yeah, that'd be fun. Soldiers, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, good times for sure back in the 90s. But check out Polly, I think you guys will both really dig it. Um, cool, but yeah, what uh, what'd you watch, John? Yeah, I, I've been pretty busy this week. I did also watch a couple of uh, Carpenter things, so kind of catching up in, in advance, but uh, did watch a few a few things. I rewatched uh, earlier this week, I rewatched uh, the M. Night Shyamalan 2002 film Signs, a movie that I remember seeing uh, when it came Ooh, out. Yeah, I, 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 I saw that when it came out and I dug it. Um, this movie, just to kind of give a quick synopsis, is about um, this, this family that's been traumatized by... Um, 
the, the wife of the main character played by Mel Gibson. He's this pr former priest. He's sort of um, this man who's, he's literally a father in the immediate sense, the father of this patriarchal figure of his family, but he's a father in the literal sense. He's a father, former priest and kind of a father figure for people in this town as sort of a mentor and a sounding board. But his wife is, is killed in this tra tragic accident. Um, and he kind of loses his faith and the family's still really dealing with trauma and dealing with all the shit that, that's been going on. The family's very fractured and they're struggling. Um, it's, he has a young son, a young daughter, um, and he also has his brother living with him, um, Graham, played by uh, the great Joaquin Phoenix. And um, basically weird shit starts to happen at the farm. They see, of course, the, the iconic picture of the cover of, of the crop circles. So they get these weird crop circles happening. They're appearing all over the world, all these crop circles. It starts to become clear, not just to them, but to the whole world that... Um, all this weird phenomena happening is actually because of aliens that are coming. And, uh, um, and so the film is really them trying to kind of survive this alien invasion that's happening. And I watched this as a kid. I thought it was really good, really creepy. There's some really famous moments, especially that scene with the Mexican home video. I saw that as a kid and I almost like shit myself. Cause it's so, yeah, you know, watching scary. Today, you just see that when, in the corner of your eye and it's like, yeah, fuck. Rewatching today doesn't have the same impact, but I think if you're watching for the first time, you're still like, holy shit. Like yeah. it's, it's pretty well, shocking. I, I don't, I don't you like get the, You gotta get the tinfoil hat too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't like M Sh uh, Shyamalan as a director. I don't think I've actually like fully liked any of his films, but like, I think one thing he does really well is the building suspense too, even with like six cents mm -hmm. too. And th with that film too, I mean, it's that, that kind of uh, Spielberg trick where, you know, you don't, you don't show the monster right away. You build a suspense by not showing it too. And I think, that film, like the the buildup is really, really good. Yeah. And I, I actually would disagree with sort of some of the takes of, you know, he's not a bad director because I think he's an amazing director. And I think this is possibly his best film. I think this is probably one of the best horror films of probably our generation. I think rewatching this now as an older man, I'm not a dad or a older man of anyone near Mel Gibson's age, but I, I connected so much to Mel Gibson's character. I think it's probably one of maybe his best kind of uh, performances uh, the scene, the last supper, literally a last supper. There's this film. And I, just as a quick tangent, like a lot of people, talking about, you know, kind of quote unquote conservative films. There's a lot of people who disregard conservative sort of films or they just think, oh, conservative films are really just like edgy reactionary gun movies or just like total fucking Christian propaganda films or like literal like, you know, Dinesh D'Souza, Obama's a Nazi type films. But <laughs> this is an example of like a genuine Christian conservative film that is fucking amazing and is a genuine film that manages to like actually feel true to itself. It's a movie about faith, about, you know, reclaiming your faith, about trauma. Like I love that fucking Last Supper scene because rewatching this again, I don't want to spoil the movie, but man, this is a dark film. Like, and it's so well, the, the pacing of it's great. The, the, I love, I love Eminem Shyamalan as an editor. I think he's really good at playing around with the sort of the composition of his films. Like there's a scene, there's scenes where characters like sort of go into a room and he, and it, he doesn't outright say it, but like hours have gone by. And I think the movie is really great at playing around with that. I, I, it's still a very fucking scary film, but I really was drawn to the story. It, it's, it's also super like, un, un, like underratedly funny. Like there's a great sequence when they're talking to the cop about, um, you know, they think, and, and I think Joaquin Phoenix's character's there, he's like, they think that it's like these boys next door that have been kind of pranking their farm. And she's like, oh, well, it, why? maybe it's a woman. And they're kind of like going back and forth. She's like, well, this woman escaped. And it's like, it's really funny kind of seeing her kind of like put the screws to them. And uh, and uh, that scene where he's watching the home video, he's like, Vomino's children, Vomino's, he's trying to get them away or whatever. It's super funny. This movie's really funny, but it's really hard. I, I, there's a couple of scenes where I was really getting choked up because it's very emotional. And I I, I just thought re-watching this, I, I, I'm not, I've, you know, a lot of people, of course, kind of wrote off M. Night Shyamalan during his time, cont contemporaneous kind of critics, you know, loved like Sixth Sense or loved Unbreakable, but wrote off a lot of his filmography. And even as a kid, like I remember watching this and I was kind of like, eh, but re-watching this, I was, I was impressed. I think this is probably one of the better films I've watched 
in recent weeks and I'm it's now kind of inspired me to kind of do a deep dive back in through his filmography like checking out The Village and other films because I think um you know re-watching his stuff especially recently he's kind of gotten a little bit of a reassessment where he you know came back with you know Split which was a you know in a fantastic film and and I you know recently with that with that movie Old he kind of got a lot of people back on his wagon so uh yeah Signs was a, was a great film and just a film that I think manages to be a film that's unabashedly like a, I would call it a conservative film, unabashedly conservative film, but that is a genuinely great film, and also a film that I think does a great job at showing like positive masculinity. Like all the characters in this film are like all the men in this film are like emotional and they care for each other and their children and they're and they're not taught like this. This is like the anti toxic masculine film. If you want to show a film, if you have young kids, young boys, you're trying to like yeah, it's, show it's like, them positive role models. It's, like, it's like before Mel Gibson went off the bandwagon to or off the wagon, you know. So like I know that's what's so heartbreaking <laughs> is that you know in real life he kind of went off the wagon, but like he's such like a great. He's not a great dad, which is great. He's like a very flawed dad. He's dealing with his shit. He's not quite there with his kids, but he is. But he, seeing his evolving and how, showing how much with he, him, yeah. And there's a really big thorough thorough line of fate in this film. I don't, I don't, I'm almost getting to fucking discussion, deep dive in this movie. I really should just move on. But think of, if you're watching this movie, put the idea of fate and chance in this because like there's a lot of that in this film. Anyways, signs, uh, five stars. I would give it five stars. Great film. Uh, another film, I went to the, the theaters, baby. I went back to the, uh, um, the Bytown Cinema. I hadn't been there. Uh, movies theaters just reopened. So I went uh, last week, went to the uh, Cineplex nearby. So I went to Bytown to see uh, the Ridley Scott film that I've been wanting to check out, The Last Duel. Kind of funny because Ridley Scott now, he's pushing almost 85. I think he's 84. He's got, uh, and somehow, Gu- he's got House of Gucci out this year too. Uh, yeah, like the same <laughs> two month span, House of Gucci also, also comes out. And now he's also directing something else. And I think he's got like Gladiator 2 in the works. Like this guy's like, almost 92 is credit. He doesn't, he doesn't like, he's sleep. Very old, he never sleeps. <laughs> still cranking out movies. And I, I mean, I love. I love Clint Eastwood, huge Clint Eastwood guy. I love all of his eras of films, but I think Clint Eastwood, his, his more recent era is pretty much just very almost like a naturalistic, just kind of like, you know, DIY, get everything set up. Post-Western, yeah. Yeah, you know, there, there, there's not really much to under the text of his films, I think. Yeah, like two, now, we'll, do but, in, we'll do it in two takes, you know? like Exactly, but Ridley Scott, I mean, to his credit, he's not that much of an age. I guess he's probably like eight years younger, but I mean, he's old and he's, his films are very rich and very detailed. So it's very cinematic. Like you watch this movie and you're like, this is, this feels like a movie. This doesn't feel like streaming shit put on the big screen. This doesn't feel like anything indie. This feels like a traditional 2000s, like, actual movie like the first sequence where you get the camera panning it's in 1300s france and you get every all the extras it just the movie the world it builds is so rich i it was kind of a mixed bag for me this movie i dug a lot of it i thought overall the story was kind of interesting it, to kind of give a high level view um it takes place i believe it's a true story of or inspired by a true story anyways yeah of this. I, ha- I have the book actually here oh you to, do yeah it's, yeah it takes place i believe like 1300s france it's about um these these knights so knight jean de Carreau is played by i believe uh, played by matt damon and we've also got uh, jacques legree which is uh, oh you've got the book the last duel so it's based sort of that's sort of the the book that's it's talking about this events and i guess that's what the movie sort of sourced from and um matt damon's character he has a wife jody comer she's great played she plays marguerite de Carreau and uh, also got a goofball ben affleck role with a stupid haircut and goatee playing uh, <laughs> pierre d'alson and and i loved uh, alex lothar as king charles the sixth kind of funny too because that's the mad king charles and you see how he's like he's a sort of like inbred young kid i mean i don't want to shame him because that's just how he looks but he looks kind of like gross <laughs> I, all of his roles he plays he's kind of like creepy i think he was he was in that uh black mirror episode where he played the guy at the end you find out he was actually a pedo or not. like he plays all these kind of like weird gross dude but anyways um the movie's about it's kind of told rashomon style of kind of each character's perspective and it's about uh this knight 
finds out that his wife has been raped by the other knight played by Adam Driver, and he decides that he's going to challenge him to a, a duel to the death. And the movie kind of chronicles um, Matt Damon's character's perspective, what's going on, and then we see it from Adam Driver's perspective, and then uh, Marguerite, we see it from her perspective at the end. I think her kind of sequence at the end is probably the best part of this film, just because I sort of the the, the biggest criticism I have of this is like, you know, Rashomon or, or movies that are inspired by that, oftentimes the reason they do that is because we get to see kind of through each character's perspectives kind of a, a, a real kind of twist on the truth and it really shapes uh, with this one well i did really appreciate ridley scott how he uses each sort of sequence to film things differently like i think almost every scene in this film was filmed like three or four different ways i love seeing that from sort it's, of a, it's beautiful a cine- look, it's beautiful to look at yeah from a <laughs> cinematic perspective and from a cinema a storytelling perspective i think it worked really well but it, it i already like literally like halfway through matt damon's like sort of story i was like i already know what's going to happen i know what's yeah. going to happen with adam driver's perspective and i know how we're, what we're actually going to see her and to me it felt a little redundant especially like having to rewatch that fucking horrible scene between yeah. adam driver and marguerite where she's raped i mean it's it is very bad it's very tough to watch we see it from his perspective and then we have to watch the whole thing over again 800 times worth from her perspective i was like I, we didn't it, just it felt, felt a little long, bit yeah it was a little bit redundant. I was like, why did we even need this Rashomon style if it's sort of, it, it didn't feel like it was even really necessary, but God, the, all the, I love really Scott and his sort of source, sword, uh, swashbuckling fight sequences. And this movie delivers fuck that last duel man was fucking killer. Very intense. But I loved so much of this. I loved the look of it. I loved, I wasn't high on, I actually also wasn't really high on the casting. Like I felt like Ben Affleck, Matt Damon really took me out of it. I'm like, I'm yeah, so conscious of Matt Damon, yeah. especially I, I, I didn't think bad, Ben Affleck was bad but they just took me so out of it like if they had sort of actual kind of like independent like french minor character actors playing these roles maybe i would have been more into it but this is sort of the, the problem i had with that netflix film the king where it's like you have timothy chalamet who's like an actual you know french american actor playing like the british king and then we have fucking goofball rob pattinson playing the fucking uh dauphin it was like to me it really took me out of it and i'm and i'm not well, super, i, I like, really i really like that movie i thought it was great but i mean that's yeah <laughs> But uh, I, I liked the movie. It was good, but it was to me a little bit of maybe more of a middle middling really yeah. Scott effort. Yeah, I some people okay. are really high on it, so maybe it looks check gorgeous. It out. But it's yeah, it's it's a little bit slow. Yeah, I'd say check me. it out. But if you are very sensitive to like you know films depicting like rape or sexual, like fuck, <laughs> don't watch this. You're gonna yeah. be like, pretty <laughs> traumatized. Not, yeah. Um, to wrap things up, we rewatched. Uh, I hadn't seen this film. Fuck, I think I watched this when it came out. Like rented it as a kid with parents. Uh, Men in Black, uh, Will Smith, <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones. This movie's just fucking funny as hell. It's really it's fun great. to watch. It's not the an amazing film, but I think uh, the special effects. Rick Baker, God King, Rick Baker, Rick Baker, who's uh, done a bunch of stuff, and I think we've already talked about. I believe some of the films that he's done before, or I might have mentioned it on what we watched. But he's a uh, probably one of the best special effects guy in the biz, and he did the work on this film, and it shows because the special effects in this movie hold the fuck up it's 1998 and it's like i think as you were saying paulie like the, the actual sequences where we see genuine cgi uh this film blends that with traditional prop effects like i love seeing the aliens that are there's an alien you see at one point it's like totally obviously use like saran wrap all around them and like it, it works like it gives the movie a genuine texture i love how it's sort of this like depicting sort of new york slash with aliens and it's like the aliens in this world are just like average joes who kind of make up kind of this the ethnicity of the world and and the film is sort of like cops in the middleman trying to manage this stuff but doesn't manage to, doesn't get full like you know all cops are bad you know they're it's kind of goofy like and i think will smith and this is super funny as hell to watch and you know bring back the era of will smith starring films where the end credits yeah, independence. sings the song at the end yeah <laughs> or independence yeah. day like stuff like the original independence day you know yeah like great. wild wild west bring back yeah. will smith 
at the end credits singing the song in in his own way like i or rapping the song or whatever like bring that era back we need more movies why Going isn't adam driver <laughs> yeah why isn't adam driver doing the soundtrack of his film and like singing yo yo the last duel the last duel like bring that era back we gotta bring that era back but pretty fun um probably gonna rewatch all of the other ones in the next couple of weeks so that that was all i watched this week uh how about you curtis so I watched quite a few ones this week too. So I watched, I know Quinn has it on VHS, the uh, original uh, OG Ovira Mistress of the Dark movie mm. from 1998. So that was, that was a really fun one. Cause I, I had heard so much about it for a long time. Uh, I know you're a big Elvira fan too, Quinn. Um, and it was, it was great. I really liked it. You know, I like her, her sarcasm and I like her punny jokes too. And I mean, I can listen to her jokes all day too. And I mean, she's got a really cool look. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the plot's all over the place, but you don't really watch for the plot. It's just, it's just, a, it's a fun time, you know, and have a few drinks. Um, she's really punk rock, I think too. Cause I love how like subversive and sassy she is. Um, yeah. Like her dog, <laughs> yeah, her dog, <laughs> yeah, she has this little dog too. It's and so yeah, throughout, awesome. throughout the movie too, like everyone's always kind of sexualizing her too. But she's very like she wears what she wants, she says what she wants, she does what she wants. I'm like, yeah. you, you fucking go, Elvira. You I know, think like, in real life she came out right, like she's actually like yeah, uh, been in, like, yeah, a long term. All these like all these like all these like seventy year old guys were pit- were upset because like she was she was like gay, and <laughs> I'm just like, come on, like <laughs> it's like you can tell that this obviously like can't be gay. Like it's just so yeah, it's one of those moments where you rewatch or kind of revisit like oh yeah it's totally gay like it's so campy like with elvis yeah. it's just totally like so gaudy and and over she hasn't dog. aged a day either she looks yeah, she, look, she looks great like she's still yeah she'll she'll still do like comic cons and other appearances That's like cool. as elvira and like cassandra peterson just like as herself is like she obviously you know it's cassandra peterson but like when she dresses up as elvira like oh my god it's like the 80s again she looks exactly the same she, she is that role like it she, yeah, is I mean, she, elvira, she, she owns that role so, yeah so cool man i just i love that movie i love yeah i'm I'm a huge elvira fan i used to like i liked watching her i liked watching her like show just for the kind of puns and jokes too rather than the actual b movies and z movies that they showed but i mean like she's she she gives so much to it she's such like an iconic kind of horror character too kind of a contemporary of like joe bob like that same space basically yeah Yeah. and i mean i mean she handles i mean i mean there's so much there's a lot of like misogynistic characters in the movie too but i mean she just handles it so well like all of them and it was it was a lot of fun to watch and i love that they have this like one scene where there's this like dinner casserole <laughs> creature <laughs> she accidentally summons this whatever it is <laughs> and i yep. thought that was great too so there's so much to enjoy so if you have a friday night and you had a few drinks it's uh, it's a fun one to watch then i watched uh, actually it was one that you recommended john it was the uh, a creep show holiday special that was also oh, yeah. on shutter werewolf yeah. synonymous or whatever yeah, yeah that was that was really fun cuz you know it's it's hard mm. to find good werewolf movies and this was one of them you know it was like a little short christmas mm. special 45 minutes you know evil santa claus you know chris kringle coming to kill all the werewolves too and <laughs> i like that idea too of the the werewolves is like having this kind of like cult slash aa meeting and stuff yeah you know? yeah the, and the woman who's just like a furry she's not yeah the, the hippo furry yeah. <laughs> and then she's like can you like can you like turn me into where where hippo and i'm like really they're like we, we can't really do that but like and she saves everyone's ass too and yeah, yeah. It, it was a lot of fun so I, I thanks for the recommendation for that one and um i also watched without warning uh from 1980 this is a uh, on I watched it on YouTube actually I, th- I think and um, this was a movie that inspired Predator the original Predator. Um, oh really? Wow. Yeah, really, uh, really weird movie. It's obviously like a bit of a ripoff of Alien too. It's like in this mm-hmm. kind of backcountry town, and uh, there's these like weird face hugger things, and they like grab onto you and like kill you basically. 
and this basically this homophobic hunter gets killed and his son and then they kill like this camp counselor or something or the scout leader and uh yeah and then basically this weird ass uh, <laughs> vietnam war vet and this gas station attendant intervene too i think they've got a couple famous actors in there too i think uh, lando michael was it michael lando i think and uh he's in it too and yeah it's obviously an alien rip but i was i was so entertained the whole time i had really fun and yo oh and young uh, david caruso is in it too from miami <laughs> Or a CSI Miami. Oh yeah, is that... he's in cool. it too. He plays with one of the young kids who doesn't live very long. But uh, <laughs> it, it was a really solid. It was a really fun movie, actually. I don't know why I liked it so much, but uh, yeah, you could see like the inspiration for for Predator. Uh, they kind of keep these like trophies and stuff too, and they hunt uh, humans. They revealed the alien wasn't that great too. Is the same guy who plays Predator and Predator, but I mean. It was just fun to watch. And it's kind of fun when you think about it, because like whenever they do an Alien versus Predator actual movie, they're not very good. <laughs> but this movie was actually mm. kind of fun to watch. And I, I, I thought it was good. And I, I really enjoyed that, too. And it's actually pretty it's a B movie, but it's a, a B movie that's really fun and done really well. So, um, yeah, Jack Palance is in it, too, who's also uh, pretty well known. But that's that, that's worth checking out, I think. I also watched uh, <laughs> I, lo- I love Tales from the Crypt. Uh, I wa- used to watch uh, Tales from the Crypt Keeper, too, when I was come- when I was growing up, too, especially, you know, the Crypt Keepers laugh, too. So I- I'd watched Demon Knight a-, a while ago, too. I thought it was OK. I know Quinn has these on uh, VHS, too. And uh, I heard they actually did a third one, which is e- even worse than this one called Ritual. But I watched <laughs> I watched Bordello of Blood for the first time on uh, Shudder. And my dad had watched a long time ago. And I remember he watched it for the late night show. And he said he had a lot of fun with it, too. But then he's like, oh, you know, the... <laughs> The, the main guy dies at the end too. I'm like, well, what a cool concept too. There's like a vampire brothel too. And I mean, it's, I mean, it was, it was a, ste- I really wanted to like, it was a steaming pile of caca, but I mean, it was kind of fun to watch. And, you know, they have all these famous actors. Uh, they have uh, Angie Everhart. They have uh, Corey Feldman, you know, from the two Corys, a whole bunch of other characters, a lot of miscasting to the, the main detective guy who's like a total creep. And I mean, you couldn't film a movie like this now. I mean, it's, it's like it was written by a 15 year old. There's a lot of like, you know, <laughs> It's very puerile and, and silly, and I mean, it's not even that good of a movie, but it's it's kind of fun to watch, you know. And they have like some some kind of subplot with a weird, uh, you know, cult leader, religious leader, or something too. But yeah, I, I like that. I like Demon Knight a lot more, I think, in the TV series. But uh, I mean, if you want to complete the, the the Tales from the Crypt experience, I mean, they just have some fun moments. And then uh, the last one I watched was also one on Shutter. So a lot of horror Shutter horror week, movies this week. I watched The Boys from County Hell based on a Pogue song or inspired by a Pogue song, I think. And it's an Irish film. It's an Irish kind of vampire uh, horror comedy. And it's set in like Bumblefuck County, Ireland, somewhere <laughs> County in some Ireland, Ireland somewhere. And it's these two boys and they, they kind of like, you know, they're, they're drinking and having a good time. And then one of them gets like gored by an animal or something. And his blood like soaks this, this ancient rock mound, this cairn and the, the blood soaks in and awakens this ancient vampire and the vampire goes around and basically you know, destroys the town. And then it's also about father-son relationships because the son has a difficult relationship with his father and they kind of bond through the whole crisis and fight the vampire. And it was kind of, I mean, maybe the plot sounds generic, but like the way that the vampire was portrayed was actually kind of interesting too because, I mean, it avoids all those usual tropes. You know, you can't kill it with sunlight. You know, you can't stake it. Um, so it was mm-hmm. it was pretty well done. It was like closer to the kind of folkloric revenant maybe than, than you know, the, the Bram Stoker Dracula. Um, and I, I thought it was kind of a fun film. So that's uh, that's also on Netflix. So a lot of good horror movies on Netflix. And I'm I'm happy I got to kind of complete uh, 
uh, I got, I'm happy I got to see the other tales from the crypt movie. We won't count the third one ritual. Cause I, I think I heard that one's even worse. So I'm not, I'm not going to watch that one, but yeah, that's everything I watched. Cool. Cool. I, I think that's about it for us. I think um, uh, next episode, we're going to be get back to our John Carpenter series chatting the thing, which might be his probably most critically acclaimed film of that with Halloween. I think that's a film when you'd say John Carpenter, people say the thing. So really excited to revisit that one too. It's been a few years since I've rewatched it. That's one I rewatch actually pretty often. So um, excited to chat that one. We've also got some more stuff coming up. We're going to be having a guest episode soon. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, I think next week you guys are gone. So we might be away for a while. Maybe I'll try to find some buddies and just put something together for, for shits and giggles. Who knows? But uh, if not, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, anything you guys want to mention before we uh, wrap things up? Check out my Instagram, Seatstruck Reviews. Uh, I'm going to be posting a lot more reviews on there soon. I've been watching a lot, so it's just been taking me more and more to write and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I just did a review this week of a movie I watched over a month ago. So it's like it's taken me a uh, lo- longer than I expected. But uh, yeah, check it out. Check me out on Instagram. Uh, that's it for this week. We'll see you all again soon. Have a happy, well, by the time this releases, probably already be Valentine's Day, but if not, have, have a happy Valentine's Day, happy rest of February. We'll see you all again soon. Bye, everyone.